Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. This episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast is brought to you by MLB at Bat. Yankees baseball is always live with MLB at Bat. Follow the action with game tracking and video highlights along with up to the moment stats, standings, breaking news and more. Download MLB at Bat today in the Apple App Store or Google Play. It's your number one app for Yankees baseball. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine podcast. It's uh, season three, episode three. We have uh, some fun stuff to discuss today as the Yankees are on finally a nice little roll this season. We're going to talk about our cover story coming up for the May issue, which will be in Yankee Stadium stands and stores and mailboxes and everything like that pretty soon. We're also going to talk about a story that I had the honor of writing about a Yankees minor leaguer who I'm pretty sure you've never heard of, but whose story you're going to want to hear. So with me today, we have Editor-in-Chief Al Sanasiri. Hello. And of course, we have our Executive Editor, Nathan Makaborski. Hello, everyone. So guys, it's uh, kind of been a weird couple weeks so far, but right now, if you look at it, pretty much where we were at this time last year, which I don't think we expected about a week ago. No, it's been a turbulent ride so far. Things could be worse, and the team could certainly be in a worse place, especially with all the injuries. Certainly. They could be the Red Sox. They could be, exactly. And, uh, you know, I think it's a credit to, you know, management and Aaron Boone and, you know, keeping them where they are despite everything. And and a lot of other players really stepping up, which has been fun to watch. Not not an ideal situation, but fun uh, nonetheless. Yeah, a lot of credit to the starting pitching staff. I mean, you lose your ace in Luis Severino, you expect to have to kind of, you know, patch things along. But uh, it seems like night after night, you know, whether it's Jay Happ or Domingo Horman or CC Sabathia, um, everybody, uh, they're just, you know, giving us good, good solid innings, putting up a lot of zeros, which uh, even the, the lineup certainly isn't what we were expecting uh, to see. But when, when you got starting pitching giving you that kind of opportunity to win ball games these guys are showing that they can still get the job done and i checked yesterday and they were still above their pace when they broke the record last year oh yeah runs so the underrated part of what's going on with this team right now are two things number one you're seeing a lot of young players getting more experience than you would have otherwise seen them get mike ford i don't think he's going to be up with the team all year but you know you can't knock the experience he's getting being up there right now. The same goes probably for Mike Talkman, probably for Tyro Estrada. The other thing you're going to see is 
the Yankees are essentially going to reach a point in the season where they're basically adding an all-star every two to three weeks. <laughs> right. You know, you're going to get Giancarlo Stanton back. You're going to get Aaron Judge back. You're going to get Aaron Hicks back. <laughs> you know, all these things. Miguel Andujar, presumably, back. And all Did these things are gorgeous at some point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... and you know, it's going to be funny, of course, when you suddenly start running into, like, where do we play all these guys? But that's, first off, that's a great problem to have. And secondly, it's just, you know, the Yankees basically are going to get to reload without having to trade anybody over the course of the entire season. And I really, I don't think that you can knock uh, the benefit that's going to have on the team this year. And again, with the experience these young guys are going, getting moving forward. Oh, and it is, it's great experience for these guys. You know, they're getting to, you know, bolster their their big league resumes and show uh, not only the Yankees, but all the other teams around the league what they're capable of doing. I mean, I know, you know, from a defensive standpoint, I've been really impressed with some of these guys who have stepped in. Gio Urshela over at third base, I mean, puts on a a highlight reel every other night, it seems like. We We were talking before we started recording about the job that Luke Voigt has done at first base. You know, it was supposed to be that Luke Voigt was, uh, going to be our no glove all bad option Greg Bird gets hurt and man that guy's a gymnast out there lately with the splits he's doing it is I mean it's he, he talked about it last year about how seriously he takes his defense and the work he puts in and he, he wants to be a gold glover over there and uh so far this year I mean he's certainly made uh, a lot of picks over there that are gold glove worthy you're so inclined after all this time waiting for the season to start to just draw all your conclusions immediately you know this is a disaster this is wonderful this is you know mm. a nightmare so it's uh, april 24th that we're recording this april 22nd last year was when glaber torres came up and we're going to talk about him pretty soon obviously what everyone remembers about glaber coming up is that the team went on this ridiculous run of success right then so the team was nine and nine when they started last year and they ended up winning 100 games i think that you know at the same through 18 games this year i think we were eight and ten mm-hmm. um it didn't feel like last year but at the same time in the first 18 games of last year it felt miserable also the last couple of years i think you know and, and i mean even going back a decade a decade and a half this has historically not been a great april team it's not been a team that's gotten off to quick starts but it's not the nfl where, you know where there's only 16 games you can go eight and eight and four and four or whatever and and come back and have the reach the same goals that you had set out for in spring training and they've proved it definitely if you read uh you know too many newspapers or you watch too much tv there's it's easy to panic but i think within the the confines of the team and the clubhouse i don't think there's reason for panic and i don't think there is any panic and with all the injuries you, you know you tread water and like you said, John, you get all these guys back. And I mean, look, I think you're joking a little bit, but mm-hmm. it, it is the biggest benefit we have of our monthly schedule is that we don't have to react nightly. We don't no. have to, you know, look at what happened last night, you know, and lose our minds. The fact is every cliche about baseball is a cliche for a reason because it's mm-hmm. true. You know, you are every team is going to lose 54 games and every team is going to win 54 games. And it is what you do in the other 54. Well, what that means is that. When you lose a game, you're supposed to lose a game. You know, the best teams ever are going to lose every third game or so. And, you know, when it's that first two weeks of the season, you just have nothing to, like, judge it off. And it's like, oh, my God, the sky is falling. But it's just like we were talking. You know, you can look at a player with his 225 average. And in those first few weeks of the season, he has a good game and he's up to 285. It's just doesn't matter. Yeah. Last week, we uh, celebrated the, the 10th anniversary of the opening of Yankee Stadium. And I was... This week I spent a little time, I was looking back at that year and the, you know, the game logs and, you know, obviously we think back to 2009, we think about, you know, the world champions and that great postseason run and, uh, you know, how really 
kind of, I wouldn't say they were dominant in the postseason, but you never really got the feeling that, you know, our backs were up against the wall, like we needed to win. I, I don't even know that they ever got in a do-or-die situation where if they lost a game, they were going home. But you look back to the beginning of that year, and there was plenty of losing streaks. And even into mid-May, the, the Yankees were like six and a half games out of first place. So, uh, yeah, a lot of this stuff, uh, it's, it's <laughs> you know, we're all excited because baseball is back and you want to, you know, kind of overanalyze everything, but a lot of baseball to be played still. And look, that can go both ways. You know, the team, again, as we record this, is on a five-game winning streak. Maybe by the time you're listening to this, the team is on a, you know, six-game losing streak, and then it's, you know, the sky is falling again. Who knows? <laughs> um, the world. But I think it's an interesting time now to talk about, like, you know, the, the necessity for us to keep things in perspective because so it's april 24th but we are working on right when we finish recording this is planning our june issue Mm -hmm. and the thing you need to think about which maybe you haven't considered who knows is that when we're planning our june issue we're not just planning what you're going to read on june 1st we're planning what you're going to be reading on june 29th so here we are it's april 24th and we have to try to figure out what's going to be interesting to a fan who picks up the magazine for the first time on june 29th and so, you know, I'd love if each of you guys could talk about a little bit, like how you prepare for a meeting like this and kind of what is on your mind when you're trying to think about, you know, what stories we should be starting, what stories we should be pitching and what, you know, longer term projects you want to work on. You know, I try to write a mix of stories um, about current players and former players. And I do a lot of the interviews and, you know, spending the the day with the player during the off season. And a lot of what I do strategically is try to include as many stories on current players sooner than later, not because of injury or anything like that, but because their lives and their baseball lives change pretty fast. Um, whereas a current, excuse me, a former player's life and current situation generally doesn't change. So I'm always trying to go current player, you know, April, May, June, July, and then kind of mix in the former players later. But June's an interesting month because we have old timers day. So, you know, when you take a player who just came back to old timers day last year for the first time, or they're coming back to old timers day for the first time this year. And I have a player who I did a story on that very well may come out in June (laughs) that fits that bill, you know, you, you have that kind of wrinkle um, and you want to get that in there as well. So I might be writing two stories for June. You know, for me, it's kind of varies from month to month, you know, with April, we talked about, I think a couple episodes ago, you know, I kind of knew that I wanted to do a story about Aaron judge without even really having a specific angle in mind. I went, you know, started with, okay, let's, do a story on Aaron Judge and go from there. For the May issue, which comes out soon, which is, you know, it's going on press this weekend. You know, I remember sitting in the edit meeting and kind of listening to everybody else's story ideas and then sort of looking at the magazine as a whole thinking, okay, what's missing here, right? So I thought, you know, we had a lot of players, single player specific features going into that issue. So I wanted to do something that was a little bit more of a roundup catch all where I, I spoke to a whole bunch of different guys. So for June, I think I'm probably probably be sort of the same approach. I'll kind of see what everybody else is working on. 
Um, I have a couple things in mind that I'd like to do, but kind of want to first see what I think that issue is going to need. It's such a crucial part of it, you know, the balance that we try to strike in the issue. Things have 100 whatever years of history, and, you know, there's a million stories that you can pick from that. You want to make sure that you're giving the fans who want their historic stories some stuff to read. You also want to make sure that you're covering the different guys in the team. Yeah, you know, uh, one thing that's always big for me, and you know, not to sound ridiculous, you want to make sure you're covering different cultures on the team. You know, I want to make sure that we don't have, you know, just five profiles on, you know, five white guys from California, which you know, the team is a lot of white guys from California. So, you know, it, it, sometimes you can fall into that trap a little bit. But we want to make sure that you know, different fans are getting different things from this magazine when they pick it up. But you know, this goes back to the beginning of what we were saying. It's just so funny to me because. You know, I know that we have this meeting coming up. So, of course, you know, I'm watching these games the last few nights when they're on the West Coast. And it's like, you know, every single thing that happens, it's, you know, oh, maybe that's a story or right. oh, maybe that's a story. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, that you have to remember, like, is this still going to be a story a month and a half from now, though? You know, Domingo Harmon looks great. I think that we should at some point, you know, do a pretty cool story on him and who he is. But, you know, he's never done this before, what he's doing right now. And, you know, you do have to kind of wonder a little bit, like. Although this... I kind of, I remember him being pretty good out of the gate last year, he too. He was. He was, uh, but maybe that's proven the point. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what to say about it. Or maybe that's part of the story that we read there. <laughs> there it is. But, you know, it's just I love that this mental gymnastics you need to do a little bit when you're watching these games and just, just like, is this interesting? Yes. Is everyone else going to find this as interesting as I do? Probably not usually. Is this still going to be interesting in June? No clue. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's kind of like the macro level of, you know, how you plan this thing out. Then you get into the weeds and you, you run into – what we ran into in May where Al, you and I kind of wrote dueling cover stories in a sense. Um, and there was just this long back and forth, you know, you had this Glaber Torres story. It's, you know, we're going to talk about that in a minute. It's yeah. about a year, almost exactly from his debut. And everything about that story said cover story. And meanwhile, I had this Gary Sanchez story and he was off to a really impressive start to the season. And the story was, you know, in my opinion, a unique and interesting look at kind of who he is i agree and there was a lot of merit to the idea that maybe this is our cover story because we haven't we, we had done a cover on glaber more recently than sanchez and so we're going back and forth and we're having this like you know constructive conversation over and over again of which one makes the most sense and then you know sanchez ends up on the dl and that, that just ended that discussion it's just fortunately we had another cover mm-hmm. but a lot of times it gets to be a little bit hairier than that situation that's the, the funny thing is month to month the conversation is very different the narrative is just totally different but let's get into that uh glaber story so al you spent some time with him during spring training what i'm very curious about with this story is we've written a bunch of features on glaber really since right after the trade we wrote yeah. the first one so even though he's only been up for a year we've been writing about him for a while this was probably the most time though that any of us has spent with him so i'm curious you know what did you get from that time? What did you learn when you were with him that you didn't know about him from everything else you've reported on him and read on him? Yeah, you know, it was a great opportunity um, to have dinner with Glaber, um, with his wife, and get more than, you know, a little bit of time with him and to get him, of course, away from the ballpark where he's in a really relaxed environment and talk to him about really the whole five years it's been since he was signed uh, and really moved up the ladder with the Cubs. You know, what I learned is he's a really humble guy. Uh, He's somebody who, when you're sitting there with him and you're sitting there with his wife, you, you can't believe that they are a couple in their young 20s. They're both mature beyond their years. They're both intellectual and intellectually mature beyond their years. 
And they're also really nice people, really nice couple to uh, sit there with and have dinner with. And uh, clearly they care very much for uh, for each other. And uh, it was just nice to, to spend that time. But really the, the thing that stood out the most with Glaber was just the maturity that he has and, and maybe coming so long and so far in a short time, dealing with a major injury, maybe that you know, helps you mature as well. But I, I think it was that and, and obviously the upbringing that he had, which was which was very strong and really important. What I like a lot, a lot about uh, this feature and a lot of the features we do is we don't often get to hear from players at length like this. Gleyber Torres gets written about plenty and he gets interviewed every day. But it's often about last night's game or tonight's starting pitcher and it's little, you know, quick sound bites and stuff. But... Uh, you know, here, obviously, you got to spend a good amount of time with him, and we really get to hear at length straight from Glaber. And that maturity that you talk about, I think, really shines through in a lot of his answers. One that I that stood out to me in that regard was when he didn't make the big league team initially at the beginning of 2018. Was that one that stood out to you? Like, you know, when you think about the, the answers he gave that, that gave that impression of just mature beyond his years. It totally did. And first of all, I appreciate the compliment about the story. That answer did stand out to me. It was so different from what you hear a lot of times, you know, a player's angry that they didn't get called up out of spring training. And then they kind of backtrack, you know, oh, I'm not really angry. I'm just a competitor. He didn't take that approach and he didn't have to backtrack. He understood it. He got it. Of course, he you know, he wanted to be with the Chicago Cubs or the New York Yankees from the time he was, you know, 18 years old. Everyone wants that. But he has a really good understanding of what the factors are. Um, I have often said the greatest thing about professional athletes and, the th and besides their God-given talent, the thing that makes them so great is the confidence that they have in themselves. And that confidence oftentimes doesn't go away when their skills deteriorate. So you get somebody who's, you know, disgruntled that they're not playing as much or, or something like that, because you don't, you can't expect for that confidence to just go away simply because their skills aren't what they were. So it did stick out to me. And I also think the way that he turned it into such a positive and really it was, look, it was the first time that he was playing competitive baseball, not counting spring training, but really competitive baseball in games that counted, you know, since the previous June when he was injured, he was going to be rusty. You know, he was going to be, you know, needing some time to get going and to do that in his words. And again, he authored an amazing quote, like you said, Nathan, to be able to do that, not under the bright lights, but in a minor league setting, boy, that really helped him. We all know that that really helped him. He knew that that helped him. So I couldn't agree with you more. It really speaks volumes about who he is and the perspective he has. And, and it was a great quote. No, there's a lot of those little kind of details sprinkled in throughout the story that I think help also, you know, give the readers a little insight into what he's all about. You know, I came away from reading it thinking, you know, this guy's very disciplined. You know, you mentioned that the the dinner was at six. They showed up six o'clock on the nose. Right. 
Um, and you know, just and the dinner was at six because yes, you have to sleep early. During right. Spring training. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So he's uh, Glaber's seems very rigid in his preparation and uh, a bit of an old soul as well, right? Didn't he say like his his teammates give him grief sometimes about how early he eats and goes to bed and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean he, you know, he's dinner time. You know, compares well with you know those that are retired. I don't mean retired from baseball. I mean like retired post sixty five in terms of their age. Um, but again, he's unique. Uh, there's not a lot of early 20s uh, athletes who value sleep as much as he does, and yet there's a tremendous benefit to it. I know there's a tremendous benefit to it at you know, 40 years old, but there was a benefit to it at 22 years old too, and he gets that, and I think it's, it really speaks volumes about him. And also it's fun to talk about different players and what is important to them and also what their focus is. I think about and, and you know, the way that they approach the game is really interesting. And I don't know that there's a right way or a wrong way in terms of what their mental mindset is. I think about a dinner that I had with Didi Gregorius before game five of the uh, 2017 American League Division Series, and he could not have been more relaxed. Well, Glaber Torres, at a dinner before a spring training workout, was treating it like it was a deciding game of a playoff series. Mm-hmm. And again, they're, you know, that has nothing to do with their preparation, but just their their mental approach to things are are really different. And it's fun to kind of compare the two because they both work. So one last thing, and then we'll wrap up this segment. It's been about a year, as I said. You know, there have kind of been some, you know, hills and valleys in this year for Glaber in a lot of ways since he came up. How would you rate year one? Nate, we'll start with you. To start last season in the minors and end up in the Major League Baseball All-Star game that summer is pretty amazing. Like, we really shouldn't lose sight of the fact of just how rare that is. You know, obviously he didn't get a chance to play in the game. He was dealing with the hip flexor last summer, you know, and then he came back from the injury and, you know, had to kind of get his timing back and that sort of thing. But he did. And, you know, down the stretch at the end of last season, uh, he was a major contributor. So uh, his his rookie year was fantastic. And, uh, you know, so far this year, it's He's, he's had some pretty big contributions, too, I would say. What do you say? How does it compare to what you expected, what you, you know, we spent so much time hearing about this guy without really seeing him play, and then finally we get to see him play for the last year. There was so much hype, so to say that it exceeded expectations is, I mean, I think an accurate statement, but I, it's certainly one that could be second-guessed because the way that he was hyped, it's like, well, then he should have made the All-Star game in his first year. But to your point, Nate, you can't ever expect that of a, of a first year player of a guy who again played in the in the minor leagues for the first you know two three weeks of the season. So I'll I'll go out and say that I thought he was going to be really really good, but he was actually better than I thought he would be. You know, and when I was writing the story and doing the research of all the different Yankees rookie records he tied or was in the top five of or all that. The All-Star game does stand out. That selection really does stand out among everything else because it is the, the kind of the crown jewel of, of things that he did. So I'd say as much hype as there was, he's so far ahead of it. And, you know, and he's having a good season this year. The story is called Staying Hungry. It is the cover story of our upcoming May magazine. Hope you'll check it out. We're going to be back in a minute to discuss a player very much on the other end of the spectrum. He's as opposed to all the hype for Glaber Torres. He's a guy, like I said, you've never heard of. It's Tyler Johnson. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Glaber Torres. 
you are listening to Yankees Magazine Podcast. The Yankees Magazine Podcast is also brought to you by MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand with MLB.tv. Your subscription includes MLB at Bat Premium, allowing you to stream live baseball on your favorite supported devices. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. There are certain things that unexpectedly become a part of your life when you start covering the Yankees. The plaques, numbers, and names in Monument Park come to life every time you need to find a historical reference. You subconsciously whistle the PC Richard jingle after every strikeout and hum New York, New York whenever the last out of a game is recorded. And you talk a whole lot more about hair than you'd otherwise expect. Don Mattingly's hair. Randy Johnson's mullet. Some pretty epic beards on Johnny Damon and Kevin Euclid that disappeared. And most recently, of course, Clint Frazier's flowing red locks. When a new guy comes to town, you wonder how John Sterling will call his home run, and you wonder how he'll look when his hair is cut to meet Yankees standards. When I got the call, he was like, when you get here, you need to be clean cut and clean shave. And I was like, well, I can do the clean shaving, but I don't know if I can do the clean cut. That voice you just heard was Tyler Johnson. Don't bother trying to remember him on the mound. You've almost certainly never seen him pitch. You've probably never even heard his name. Tyler Johnson was the Yankees' 30th round pick in the 2018 MLB draft. At best, he's years away from the mound in the Bronx. But for all the success Johnny Damon had before joining the Yankees, for all the fanfare around Jason Giambi's signing, for all the drama about Don Mattingly's too long hair, it was Tyler Johnson who finally got the team to waive its ironclad policy, albeit temporarily. But the more you learn about Tyler Johnson, the more obvious it becomes. Nothing, not his own medical history, not a family's ongoing heartache, and certainly not a major league organization's arbitrary grooming policy will stand in his way. He was born with a heart defect. We knew when he was 12 hours old, yeah. As Beth Ann Johnson, Tyler's mother, explains, Tetralogy of Flow is a series of intermingled heart defects, and baby Tyler was in surgery at just six months old. Eventually, doctors needed to reconstruct his pulmonary valve. For Beth Ann and her husband Corliss, the initial terror eventually gave way to a lifelong state of pleasant shock, as their son, who was told that he would never be able to play sports, fought through every barrier in his way. You know, they would tell him from year to year, you're probably not going to be able to do this much longer. You're probably not going to be able to do this much longer. And he'd say, sure, yeah, I'm sure, yeah. And they'd say, yeah, you're probably not going to be able to play ball. And he's like, yeah, I'll be able to play ball. And he just, as, as he grew, they kept saying that he wouldn't be able to keep up and his breathing wouldn't be able to keep up. And it just didn't, he never really had a problem. I mean, he just kept, he just kept pushing through every time they would tell him, well, you know, realize that it's a possibility that, you know, you'll not be able to play at, you know, a a high school level. And he's like, okay, whatever, watch me. And he played at a high school level. And then they said, well, 
we doubt this, you know, they'll take you at, at a college level. And he's like, yeah, well, whatever. On the day after his 16th birthday, though, Tyler received news of a new nightmare. His mother, Beth Ann, had chronic myelogenous leukemia. The grief consumed him. Beth Ann had been his rock, supporting him as he kept breaking through the limits that were set in front of him. Now, from what Tyler understood, his mom was dying. One thing struck him, though, something that might have seemed silly. He and his mother, well, they had the same color hair, the same thickness. After months wallowing in a pit, knowing that there was nothing he could do to make his mother better, he set himself down an unexpected path. He could grow out his hair and make her a wig. I started growing it out and then realized that my hair was kind of like my mom's. Like, I had that, like, curliness to it that she had. And she, like, knew, like, long-term that her hair was going to completely fall out. So I was just like, dang, I can make a wig. And it's pretty much her hair because I got, like, the same jeans from her. Tyler's high school baseball performance was attracting attention, though. And when a local newspaper wanted to write about this senior pitcher with the long hair and the incredible story of overcoming a heart defect, he decided, for the first time, to talk about why he was growing it out. The selflessness shocked everyone, especially his mother. She just never told me. And so the first time I saw it, or the first time I heard anything about it, was in the newspaper article where it said, and I'm growing my hair for my mom. Um, And it brought tears to my eyes. Because I thought, what a kid. You know, what boy would want to grow their hair for their mother. So we talked a lot about it after that, and he said, Mom, I never wanted to hurt you, and I never wanted to bring it to your face that your hair was falling out because you already knew it, you just didn't talk about it. Um, And so he said, I just wanted to make sure that, you know, he said, what a better thing to have but my hair. He said, so I can stay with you for the rest of my life and the rest of yours. And he finally said, breaking down in tears, Mom, there's nothing else I can do to help you. And I said, you're right, there's not, but it's not to you as my child to help me. So that was the only thing he knew that he could do to make my life easier. When Bethann's father, Richard Chapman, passed away, her mother gave Tyler his Mickey Mantle signed baseball. So when the Yankees drafted her son out of Gardner-Webb University, Beth Ann could hardly believe it. Because of the illness and the full-time job she worked, Beth Ann had barely been able to see Tyler pitch in college, but now he was going to be a New York Yankee. And I said to Tyler, I said, Tyler, this is fate. This is where you were destined to be. Your grandfather knew it years ago. And I said, Tyler, like, you understand this. And he said, Mom, it's, it's baseball. You know, I could have been anywhere. I said, no, no, no. This is this is the New York Yankees. <laughs> this is baseball. Like, this is American baseball, period. But she also knew enough about the Yankees to wonder if the hair was going to be a problem. You know, when he when he first got called by the Yankees, the first thing they said to him was, you're going to have to your face cut your hair. And he said, um, we're going to have to talk about the hair. He's like, it could be a deal breaker. And so when the Yankees called Tyler to let him know that they had selected him with a 30th round pick, he told the scout on the line, Billy Godwin, that the whole clean cut thing might cause a bit of a problem. Godwin, of course, wasn't about to let that stop them. And then when he told me, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa do, not, do not do anything with it. 
uh, let me just talk to our people. And of course, they were great. Sitting in the draft room, he spoke to some of the other Yankees front office execs, and eventually, the question found its way on the desk of Yankees managing general partner, Hal Steinbrenner. The Yankees, of course, would let him keep the hair until it was long enough to make the wig. Weeks later, there was Tyler, playing in the Gulf Coast League, long hair whipping the back of his Yankees jersey. And there was Beth Ann, sitting next to the dugout on one very special day, watching her son demonstrate true perseverance. He was never supposed to play sports. It wasn't even certain that he would survive. But he was on the mound, pitching in a real professional baseball game, the first stop on what everyone hopes will be a long journey. Let's not get any crazy ideas. This was a one-time exception. Tyler showed up to Tampa this past March with his hair styled in a Yankees-approved fade. The long blonde locks were cut and were being made into a wig that would forever bind mother and son. Not that Bethann ever needed any kind of physical proof of Tyler's love. He's probably one of the most kind-hearted people you'll ever meet. So Tyler Johnson, in the story Tyler and the Miracles in our April magazine. John, where did you get the idea to do this story? Because if not for you, I don't think I would have ever heard of this young man. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of keep joking about that and I feel a little bad because hopefully, you know, everyone does hear about Tyler Johnson and not just from, you know, the story. Hopefully he has a long and impressive Major League Baseball career. But this was the most just random thing you know one of the employees of the tampa yankees jessica ventura reached out to our former co-worker hillary georgie as they had been doing some work and said you know hey here's an interesting story there's this kid who was drafted and showed up with long hair and obviously the yankees you know have rules about this type of thing but he was able to keep the long hair because he was growing it out to make a wig for his mother who had cancer and that was all i knew and so your interest was piqued? I, I don't even know what I expected when I got What I didn't expect was to end up literally writing about miracles. And, and, and I'm very careful when I say this stuff. Whatever my own personal religious opinions are or spirituality is, I don't like to put that stuff in stories. These are very, very Christian people, and I'm not Christian. Um, that's for one thing. But I know as I was writing this story that whatever I believe or whatever the readers believe, Tyler and his mother Bethann, certainly believe that these are miracles that went on here. I tend to agree. You know, you may not be Christian, but you are a father. And to read about a baby going through multiple heart surgeries, open heart surgery, like before the age of one is scary as hell, uh, frankly. And, you know, the fact that he went through so much at such a young age, do you think that going through that sort of stuff shaped him and made him the sort of, I mean, he just seems so determined I don't know if it shaped him athletically. I have no question that it shaped him mentally. Let's give a little bit of background here. I went into this saying, let's tell this sweet, nice story about this son growing his hair to make a wig for his mother. And, you know, we can kind of play it off the whole idea of, you know, how it, you know, intersects with the Yankees. And obviously, you know, as we've just gone through and as we discussed in our last episode, Clint Frazier. What I wasn't expecting was just, you know, what he had gone through in his life and what his mother, Beth Ann, had gone through you know, in raising him and his father Corliss. So, you know, he was born with a heart defect 
and a series of heart defects mm-hmm. in yeah. fact right yeah well it's called tetralogy of flow and you know it, it's a bunch of things that are wrong and basically this is you know you can imagine the process of you know you're giving birth you go through this whole thing it's you know one of the most amazing exciting harrowing terrifying great days of your life whatever and then the doctor comes in and says hey you know something you need to know and this is i don't remember from the story if it was six or 12 hours but it was certainly you know later that day and it just shapes everything you believe about the world and everything that you expect is going to be possible um and everything that you expect that you know you're going to be able to do as a parent and everything that your child is going to be able to do and god i mean this story it was just like a nesting doll in the sense that every single time i like picked up a phone to call another person i got another remarkable story and then i would call you know that person would give me another person to call and then at some point like the hair kind of became an afterthought almost like yeah. this thing that drew me into the story and it wasn't the, the hair is a great piece of a story and it's a great story in its own right but you know this is just a kid who was literally told at birth basically like you'll never play sports you'll never like be have a normal life in a lot of ways and you know he just basically said no i, I will yeah he he said baseball is uh, i can do this and I mean, again, you know, this is not the type of thing I'm the most comfortable writing about or even talking about, but and maybe this is offensive and I apologize if it is, but a lot of times when you're interviewing players, your eyes start rolling a little bit as they start getting into, you know, the, and I just want to thank God parts of it. And it's not a great quality of, you know, whatever, it, but it is, you just know, it's not going to be the thing that you're using in your story. And, you know, you have limited time with the person. So you're kind of waiting for them to finish all, all, all the different ways they're thanking God for, you know, the home run they hit or something like that. And I'm listening to this story and it's just like, he's sitting there and he's just basically saying like, if I die playing baseball, it's what I want to do. And that's God's plan. And there's nothing you can say when someone's telling you that. So, so, so Nate, I I, I rambled a little bit there, but to answer your question, I don't think the reason he has a good fastball slider combo is because of a heart surgery he had soon after birth. I do think the reason that he's able to say he's able to say i'm going to keep pushing and i'm gonna i'm gonna do everything i can to survive is because he has lived a life in which every single thing he was told he couldn't do he decided to do anyway and i think you know beyond the spirituality and the religious nature of of what athletes sometimes say what he said you know there's the inspirational value to this that i think is really important people can read it and no matter how religious they are or not religious they are What it really shows is that when you're told you can't do something, that doesn't mean you can't do it. There's ways to persevere and get past it and get past what you've been told you can't do or what the limitations are. Um, You know, and obviously not to be too cliche, but if you're really willing to work and work and work and work and get after something, anything really is possible. And that is proof of it. It doesn't mean for everyone that it's going to happen, but it's really inspirational and and i think that's a a credit to him and a credit to the way that the story was written but i think it's a credit to his parents to bethann and coralis johnson one thing that i didn't get to as much in the story and you know in retrospect maybe i wish i made a bigger part of it was he truly believes that he wants to have success because he feels he owes his parents money in some way and he feels like he needs to pay them back for you know all the things they had to do bethann has you know leukemia and she's doing well last time I spoke to her, but she's also still essentially working more than full-time, running two kitchens in mental health facilities, and it drives him crazy. He doesn't want her working like this, and and so he, he, he just wants to, you know, succeed so he can pay his parents back, whatever that means, but one thing that Bethann kept going back to with me is 
he wants to make sure that everyone knows that kids born with these heart defects, kids who, you know, who, who go to doctors who tell them, look, you know, you're going to live a okay life, but you can't do this or that, that no, that there's someone who's saying, yes, you can. And, and if you work at it, you can do this. And he wants to be an inspiration to all these kids that, you know, you can do this stuff. And, and you and you shouldn't accept no. And God, I mean, I have no idea if anyone listening to this is ever going to see Tyler Johnson pitch. I don't know where he's going to be playing this year yet. I mean, I don't know what affiliate he's going to get sent to. He's in extended spring training right now, obviously. But he's done amazing things on the field already. But he's such an amazing story. And he's such an amazing person to talk to. And man, he was not super into it at the beginning. And he was very concerned for good reason. You know, like he doesn't, First off, he's not the type of person who ever wants to make an excuse, but he also, you know, he doesn't want this to be attached to him necessarily that as he goes through his career and maybe someday as he's trying to sign with another team or, or trying to sign a big contract or whatever, you know, he doesn't necessarily want it to be tied to him that, you know, oh, this is the kid with a heart defect or something like that. But he he just was so kind to me. And then all the other people I spoke to, just all of them, just telling me just this is not a, this is not a normal kid. This is an incredibly, incredibly special guy. And so he pitches in in college for Gardner Webb, and you know that becomes part of the story too, because he has this amazing relief performance, eight and two thirds scoreless in like a huge game, and he's got this long, you know, blonde locks down past his shoulders and big beard, and he gets drafted by of all teams the Yankees in the thirtieth round. So how did that go there? To, to tell the story of, of how the Yankees reacted to the hair. Well, let me back up for one second first, because there's an interesting part there too, which is Gardner Webb also has a hair policy. Oh, oh really? And and similarly, you know, the coach Rusty Straub said to him, you know, hey dude, you know, snip snip, like time to cut this thing mm-hmm. off. And he told him, he was one of the first people he told, you know, my mother has leukemia and I'm growing this out to make a wig for her. Um and, and, and of course, you know, Coach Straub said okay but the interesting thing is one of Gardner Webb's annual fundraisers is all the players before a game shave their heads to raise money for or raise awareness and raise money for pediatric cancer and on the one hand you have this kid Tyler who's not doing that who's standing on the side and you know your first instinct is to look at that and be like oh my god what a selfish guy you know he doesn't want to do it and turns out it's the least selfish thing he's Mm -hmm. doing it because he's growing it out for his mother his mother mind you who's saying cut your hair and is nervous that you know he's internalizing her struggle too much and Mm -hmm. he's trying to you know make it his own which is unfair to him she feels because you know he should live his own life and and one thing he told me is just that you know that act of separating himself from his teammates it actually made them so much closer in some ways because like he really understood what they were doing like it meant so much to him to watch what they were doing he knew you know this idea of the way that they were binding themselves together to raise awareness for this disease that was so important to him so obviously you know that that's a fun little piece of the story then he cuts his hair and it turns out it wasn't long enough to make a wig i don't know what the details are of how you make a wig or anything like that it's got to be a certain length they told him it wasn't long enough so he starts growing it again and then you know the yankees draft him and billy godwin the scout calls him and says you know congratulations you know we took you in the 30th round we want you to show up in tampa tomorrow uh, clean shaven and clean cut and he says i can do clean shaven but i can't do clean cut and of course you know your first reaction i'm assuming you know as a scout is like oh look at this kid you know doesn't he realize you know the new york yankees just drafted him and he tells him the story and like billy right away was like don't cut your hair let me go talk to some people don't cut your hair mm-hmm. and you know he goes up the chain and when all I the up, way up. when i say up the chain <laughs> i mean up. you know it gets to hal steinbrenner's desk and you know, people sometimes, you know, look, I, I, I've on previous podcasts made my feelings about you know, the hair policy 
pretty clear. But this is something that, you know, the team does take seriously. And it's not just, you know, people kind of assuming, you know, okay, we need to do this because, it's, like, literally, the Steinbrenner family cares about this, this they do. stuff. They do. And Damon Oppenheimer, who runs scouting for the Yankees, got it onto Hal's desk where he was told, you know, let him grow it until he can make the wig and then he'll cut it. And I asked him very clearly, like, you know, have you ever heard of an exception to this rule before? In all your time with the Yankees and all the time you've known about the Yankees, whatever, do you know of any other exception to this rule? And and, and think for a second, like, you know, we're talking like signing Johnny Damon, signing Randy, jo- trading for Randy Johnson, like the, these types of things. And no, the answer was no. They've never heard of an exception to this rule before. And That's I mean, amazing. so Tyler Johnson, maybe you'll never see him pitch. Maybe you'll never hear of him, but like, you know, he's the one person that the Yankees ever made an exception for on their hair policy. Yeah. And, and for, for good reason, no doubt. This story is just incredible, John. You really did an amazing job with it. And this is like, you know, this is the type of story why people love Yankees magazine. You know, you pick up an, an issue, you never know what you're going to read in here. You really got it all. To echo Nathan's words, it's a, it's a really special and unique story. Well, I'm grateful you say that. I can't say enough about Tyler and his mother and the things they were willing to say to me. You know, Tyler, like I said, was uncomfortable at first. Then he warmed up, and eventually we had a long, long talk where he was, you know, very helpful. But he, he had his concerns with it. Beth Ann, not only was she willing to tell her story and every detail of, you know, just the horrible things she's been through and the things she's still going through, and she would just say to me, like, you know, I'm an open book, whatever, you know. I was very private about this for a while, but you can ask me anything. But beyond that, and, and, and I'll never forget this, I had to, after the first interview that we did together... I had to then, you know, as I was writing the story, call her back and just fact check the worst moments of her life. Hmm. And just, you know, okay, you said this to me. Can you confirm that it was this date? Can you confirm it was, you know, this number of months after your sweet baby boy was born that he had heart surgery? Can you confirm the spelling of uh, the doctor and um, what he said to you? What what was the name of that disease again? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what was the date of And just all these things. And I'm just I'm so and, – and, and I – you know the the tape of it's pretty funny because like i'm just like every question i'm so sorry i'm asking this i'm so sorry i'm asking this. and every time she would just be like nope it's okay i understand there have been a couple times in my career when you know i just knew i was telling a special someone's special story and i and i didn't necessarily understand why they were letting me do it this was that case these people don't know me they had, i don't know I, I doubt they'd ever read anything i've written they certainly didn't know me we were doing this on the phone I don't know why they trusted me to tell this story, but I'm very grateful they did. I give them a lot of credit uh, for for being willing to do that with you, for recalling all those horrible moments. And like Nathan said earlier, I mean, you know, there's the three people in this room, and I'm sure so many of our listeners are parents. And I think you talk about how difficult that is. Sometimes, you know, you do a story like this or you've done a story like this before you have children. And you think, boy, that must really be hard. Then you have children, and it gives you a completely different perspective, and you realize how unbelievably difficult it really must have been. And I give her a a ton of credit. You can read it in the April magazine. It's called Tyler and the Miracles. A nice uh, opening spread with a clean-cut and clean-shaven Tyler, who's a very handsome young man. Yeah, he was saying to me, he's like, yeah, I have a hair in a fade now. It's different. It's interesting. I kind of like it. It's good. (laughs) It does. (laughs) Great story, John. That's in the April issue. It can also be, uh, you can also check it out online at yankees.com slash magazine. So that's, uh, that's going to do it for this episode. You know, we've been joking since the beginning that 
in the last two weeks, things have changed so much. Who knows what's going to be happening two weeks from now. What I can tell you two weeks from now is that when you're at the stadium, you'll be able to pick up the May issue of Yankees Magazine with Glaber Torres on the cover. Please, please, please make sure to like, rate, and subscribe our podcast. You can download this one and previous episodes and subscribe at yankees.com slash podcast or any of your podcast grabbing apps or what have you. Yankees.com slash publications is where you can pick up previous or current issues of Yankees magazine. You can also subscribe. So we look forward to hearing from you. Yankees.com slash magazine where you can read all of our long form content and follow us on Twitter at Yanks Magazine. Look forward to hearing from you. Look forward to speaking to you again in two weeks. Thanks so much. Hi, this is Aaron Hicks. For more stories like this one, subscribe by visiting Yankees.com slash publications or by calling 800-GO-YANKS. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.